God's grace indeed is enough for whatever the challenge we face and great enough for our sin. I encourage you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 13. This morning we'll be looking at verses 36 through 38. As you're turning there, I'd like to give you an update on this past week with my daughter Emma. Uh, she finished her medications for the pneumonia, all the antibiotics, and has been doing well. The times that she's been awake, she's been very alert and responsive, so we are very great, thankful for that and thankful for your continued prayers. I'd like to ask you to pray not only this week, but continually for requests that I've asked you to pray before. And that's that soon we would be able to remove the tracheostomy. Uh, Emma's not able to control her swallowing real well. And so she has a tracheostomy to protect her airway so she won't aspirate. Now she swallows at times and swallows very well. But we are praying for the day to come when we can remove that. Uh, it's basically a foreign object in her trachea. And as long as it's there, she's going to be prone to infections, particularly pneumonia. So we're praying that we can remove it. And not only that, but God will make it clear when the time is to take that out. Uh, one of the amazing things that happened at the very beginning of this, when Emma was in the neurointensive care unit, she had a shunt that was placed at the base of her skull to remove extra fluid that was accumulating on her brain. When we arrived one morning, the doctor met us there, and he said that he could not explain this, but the shunt had come out on its own overnight. And he said, I guess it means that we don't need that anymore, that she doesn't need it, and she didn't. We're praying that God will do something miraculous like that again, just to make it clear that that time is there. So pray with us to that end. Chapters 13 through 18 in the Gospel of John contain events that happen and teaching that is given by Jesus the night that he is arrested. So we're continuing in this section. As Jesus has just said that he will be leaving the disciples, and where he's going, they can't follow him. They'll seek him, but they won't find him. He then looked at him and he said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. But the disciples can't get over that Jesus has said that he's leaving them, and they can't go with him. And when we begin reading in verse 36, I think that Peter voices the question on the mind of each of the disciples. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow after me. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Would you bow with me in prayer again? Father, we believe that your grace is sufficient for all things. Lord, we ask you now to apply your grace to allow us to look within our hearts and our lives. The preacher in Hebrews said that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide bone from its very marrow. Lord, your word is that precise. 
apply it to our lives this morning. Allow us to see Peter not as, Father, simply a case study, but, Father, a reminder to us of our weakness and your grace. Grant this, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I ask you to stand with me at a crossroads. It's the crossroads between devotion and denial. A crossroad is a place of choice. It's where you make a decision that will often have long-reaching or far-reaching consequences. It's a place where a decision is made. In many ways, every day, you and I stand at this crossroads. And it's my prayer this morning that in looking at this text and two others that I will mention shortly, that we'll take a look at what road we are on. I pray that we will see we are on the road of devotion. Every day, walking closely and following our Lord in obedience. But the reality is that we may find that we have gone down the road of denial. And I pray this morning that if that is where we find ourselves, that we will be quick to turn and to do a course correction because the longer you walk down the road of denying Christ, the more difficult it is to turn around. See, going down the road of denial can be very easy. Because many times our path of denial is not as clear as it is with Peter. Most of the time we do not deny the Lord by, by simply saying, I don't believe. Sometimes our denial is in silence. Sometimes our denial comes in those moments when it's in a conversation or maybe in a post that we are reading on Facebook or a post on Twitter where someone has spoken out against Christians and made accusations against the followers of Christ or claimed that all those who follow Christ are simply idiots. It's at that moment we have a decision. Do we play it safe and remain silent and avoid a Twitter storm? Or do we speak up and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Those are the moments, the choices that we face. Peter's known for standing at that crossroad. And when he did, it shouldn't have been a surprise to him that he was asked about knowing our Lord. But like Peter, we often don't, aren't aware of the challenges, the choices that are made before us. Jesus had just told the disciples that he was going away and leaving them a commandment. But I don't think they can get away from the question that Peter poises. Lord, where are you going? Jesus had tried to prepare them for the coming cross. But it just didn't sink in to their hearts that Jesus, the one who walked on the water, the one who raised the dead, that he would actually die a criminal's death. So Peter asked, where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you will follow after me. The words in Jesus' reply are full of meaning. They can refer to the fact that Peter will indeed walk the path of a disciple. He will follow Jesus in obedience to the Lord, but they can also be understood as pointing to the death that Peter will one day die. A death of martyrdom. 
but death on a cross. And not just death upon a cross, but tradition tells us that Peter requested that as he was crucified, that he be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner of Jesus his Lord. But in this moment where Peter is told that he will follow, he wants it now. Verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Let me come with you now. I will lay down my life for you. Peter speaks brashly, confidently. You see, in this moment when you're surrounded by other believers and your belly is full from a meal, it is easy to be bold in your declarations of faith. But Jesus knows the reality of Peter's heart. Will you lay down your life for me? Once again, Jesus' answer is full of meaning. On the very surface level, he's asking Peter, will you really follow me in martyrdom? But theologically, he is asking a question, can you lay down your life for me? The idea of substitution. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was our substitution. He took our place. And he's saying to Peter, Peter, do you really think you can follow me, that you can give your life for mine? No, to the contrary, Peter. Before the sun comes up in the morning, before the rays of light peek over the horizon, you'll deny that you know me even three times. Peter's overconfident. And we must realize that we need to be humble before the Lord because it is all too easy for us to go down the very path that Peter traveled. We must realize that we can deny our Lord Jesus also. This is a challenge that we face. That we need to be humble enough like Paul wrote to the church at Corinth when he said, Take heed lest you fall. That we take heed that our overconfidence surrounded by other Christians does not fade and dissolve in the darkness of temptation. See, our temptation often is not as overt as the question put to Peter. Maybe it is outright denial, where we simply say, I don't believe in Jesus, while at other times we confess that we are followers. No, I think that our denial comes in two more subtle ways. One is silence. Our lack of words often communicates our faith in the Lord Jesus or our lack thereof. That refusing to speak up, to share the gospel, we often deny Jesus by at times speaking up when we need to give an answer to those who would attack our faith. But other times our denial comes from disconnection where our actions are disconnected from our profession of faith. Where there's a great distance in how we live as opposed to what we say we believe. It points people to believe that we really don't believe what we have said. This disconnection can become acute at times. The story is told of a police officer that pulled over a driver. And of course when the officer walked up to the car he asked that question. May I see your driver's license and registration? As the gentleman is pulling out his wallet and getting the registration to hand them over. He asked the officer what happened. 
I wasn't speeding. I didn't run any traffic lights. What's going on? The officer said, no, you didn't do any of those things, but I've been observing you for a bit as you've driven. And first thing I noticed is that you shook your fist as a lady drove, drove slowly in the left lane and you had to pass her. I watched as your face became angry and red as you shouted at the driver in that Hummer who cut you off. And I saw you pound your wheel at the steering wheel when the red light did catch you. Well, officer, are any of those things a crime? No. But then I noticed the bumper sticker on your car that says, Jesus loves you and so do I. And I wanted to be sure this car hadn't been stolen. Our denial comes in our actions. Oswald Chambers, the author of My Utmost for His Highest, puts it like this, quote, Beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God and professing your faith in Him as the Savior of the world while you blaspheme Him by the complete evidence in your daily life that He is powerless to do anything in and through you, end quote. You see, this disconnection between our actions and what our lips profess often is a byproduct, an unwitting byproduct of evangelical Christianity. We emphasize the study of God's Word, and rightly so. God's Word is truth that will stand, and we need to study it and know it. But here's the danger. We make knowing facts the end or the goal of our study. When we come to study the Word of God, our goal must be transformation, that as we come to know God, He changes us. The transformation of our lives so that every aspect of our being is connected to God so that we are striving to glorify Him in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, in our emotions so that every part of our lives points to the Lord Jesus as our sovereign Savior. That's to be the driving force of our study. Because when we live otherwise, we are denying it's not that we don't fail in those areas at times, but it's that we need to be quick to point to God's grace and keep short accounts with our Lord in repentance. You see, often that disconnect drives us down the road of denial. There's often another thing that keeps us on that road. That when we would want to do a U-turn and come back to the road of devotion, it's often fear that keeps us from doing so. I want to ask you to turn over a few chapters in the Gospel of John to chapter 18. Of course, we'll be coming back to look at the teachings of Jesus and the night of His arrest. But in John 18, the soldiers have come to the garden led by Judas. Jesus is arrested and He's taken away, first of all, to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, or to Annas. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus in John 18 verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now give Peter credit. The other disciples have gone scattered from the garden but Peter and this unknown disciple followed Jesus. Now read this, just see this in your imagination. There's almost this clandestine element in what takes place. Since that disciple, this other disciple was known to the high priest he went in with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. 
Peter waits out. It's almost like at this back door. The disciple who knows the high priest goes in with Jesus because he's known it's safe. So he finds a servant girl, tells her to let Peter in. Peter goes into the courtyard. The servant girl at the door, as she's letting Peter in, says, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Notice that word also. She knows that the one who told her to let Peter in is a follower of Jesus. Are you also a disciple? The three words of Peter's response sting. I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. It's interesting. The very first person to ask Peter about his faith is a servant girl. A girl. Meaning she was maybe 11 years old, not yet considered a woman. Not exactly an intimidating figure. But even in that moment when the price doesn't appear to be that high, Peter says, I am not. But what we read in verse 18 shows that there was fear that began to, to come into Peter's life. Because notice who made the charcoal fire with the implication they are standing there. Servants and officers. Soldiers. Things become even more challenging for Peter. Look at verse 25. Simon Peter was standing warning himself. So they said to him, they, these officers, these servants, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denies it. Once again, those three words, I am not. To me, verse 26 becomes interesting because of the irony. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? John is going to record a detail the other Gospels omit. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter reacted quickly. Peter drew his sword and swung. And he cut off the ear of a servant of the high priest, a man by the name of Malchus. I always find it humorous in a way that in all the portrayals of the garden, you never see Malchus with his hand beside his ear looking around. Jesus quickly says, Peter, put your sword up. Don't you know those who live by the sword will die by it? And then he picks up the ear of Malchus and he heals Malchus. But now Peter's face to face. you got two things going on. One, this is a relative of Malchus. And I wonder if in Peter's mind he realizes that and he's thinking, this guy's going to get revenge on me. Even though Jesus healed his ear, his cousin's ear, I cut it off. Then look at the other thing that would cause Peter's knees to knock. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And I witness. You say you're not a disciple, Peter, but I, I think I saw you there in the garden. So again, Peter denies, and what happens? The rooster crows. It was fear that drove Peter's denial. Now the fear is very evident in this passage, that fear of arrest. But I think, and once again as I say this, I know the dangers of engaging in psychoanalysis over 2,000 years, but I can't help but wonder if fear of man was a constant threat to Peter's faith. 
The reason I say that is that when you read later in the book of Galatians, you find Peter kind of playing both ends against the middle. You have a group of Gentile believers who believe you can eat anything, and they are enjoying barbecue pork, and Peter's eating it right along with them. Fitting in, no pressure. Then when Jews arrive, he goes to the other extreme, and he doesn't eat any meat. So once again, he fits in. There's no pressure. So I think this disciple who could be brash and overconfident did that to simply mask his own insecurities in trying to please people. And I think that's something you and I can identify with. Because you know what often drives our denial is the fear of what others will think. What reprisals will come against me if they know I'm a Christian? Will they think I'm some religious fanatic if I take my faith seriously? But we must remember that any approval or disapproval from the world will be short-lived. In fact, the world will never stand and applaud the followers of Jesus Christ. By our very nature of following the Lord, we are at enmity with the world. We are on different courses. So if we are living for the applause of the world and fear of what the world thinks drives us to deny our Lord, we are living unwisely. We must remember that whether it be the applause of the world or the disapproval of the world, it will be fickle. In the history of the United States, probably one of, if not the greatest speech, was delivered by Abraham Lincoln at the battlefield of Gettysburg. Those words where he began four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. We are now engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived, and that's all I remember from my fifth grade studies. Listen to some of the press that President Lincoln got following that. The Harrisburg Patriots said that the battlefield of Gettysburg was sullied by the silly remarks of President Lincoln. The New York World said that Lincoln's address was full of gross ignorance and willful misstatements. The Chicago Times observed the cheek of every American must tingle with shame as he reads the silly flat and dishwatery utterances of the man who has to be pointed out to intelligent foreigners as the President of the United States. The Times of London commented that the ceremony at Gettysburg was rendered ludicrous by some of the sallies of that poor President Lincoln. See, the approval of the world, the opinion of the world will change. Our issue is not to live according to the shifting winds of the world, but it is to be lived according to the power and the direction set by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must focus on the Lord, encourage one another, lest we be swept away along the path of denial by the seeking the approval of the world around us. And it's a path that all of us, quite frankly, have traveled at one time or another. All of us, myself included, know that we've played the part of Peter. So the question is, what do we do after that? What do we do when we recognize that we have denied our Lord? I ask you one more time to look at another passage, John chapter 21. This is post-resurrection now. Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene. He's appeared to the disciples. He's appeared to Thomas. But in chapter 21, the disciples have gone out fishing. 
The day is breaking, the sun is coming up, and Jesus is on the shore. But the disciples didn't recognize it's Jesus because they're over a hundred yards out. So he shouts to them, children, do you have any fish? And they say, no, not caught a thing. Jesus says, throw your, cat, your net on the other side of the boat, you'll find some. Verse 6. So they cast it and they were able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They weren't able to. Now that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Look at Peter's response. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Now the implication is not that Peter's embarrassed or ashamed, but he's diving in to try to get to Jesus. He just doesn't do it gracefully. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Now, verse 9, I want you to notice a detail here. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. There are only two mentions of charcoal fire in the New Testament. Here, and when Peter denied the Lord, they were warming by a charcoal fire. Now, since Peter was first into the water and implied the first to get to the shore, because Peter has to go back aboard to haul the fish off, who was the first there to see and smell the odor of the charcoal. You know our most powerful sense is smell. And don't you think that in that moment where Peter smells that charcoal, that distinct scent in the air, his mind goes back to a cold morning when he is asked, aren't you a follower? You see, for us to make that U-turn on the road of denial, we need that face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus. Now later we will dive into chapter 21 where Jesus not only restores Peter but recommissions him. But I want you to know, if you're on the road of denial, let today be that day where you can stop and turn around. Our Lord is not extending a hand pointing a finger at you saying, how could you? He's extending a hand towards you to say, come to me. My grace is sufficient. I'd remind you, that's Peter's story. This one who denied the Lord is crucified upside down because of his faith. So let today be the day you change roads and say, Father, I want to walk the path of devotion. Grant me the grace to do that. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. Before Chris leads us in singing, I want to ask us to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of a surgeon in our very souls. I highlighted two areas this morning. One, what drives us down the area of denial is, is the denial that plagues you the one of silence or disconnection. This morning the Holy Spirit may be bringing to your mind times that you should have spoken up, but rather you were silent, and in doing so denied the faith. Or He may be bringing points in your life where your actions are disconnected from your faith.
today the Lord is throwing open His arms to you to say, come unto me. The other area where you may struggle like many people do is in the area of fear of man. The fear of others. The fear of reading what they may write or say or tweet or post. If they find out you are a follower of Christ, causes you to deny the faith. This needs to be the day where you say, Lord, I will not go down that path. Grant me courage and wisdom to speak the truth in love. And please know, no matter how far you may be down that path of denial, you are never so far that the Lord cannot and will not bring you back to Him. Father, we are Yours. Thank You for being faithful to us. Even as we struggle, Lord, Thank you that you do not clean your hands of us. Rather, Father, you extend your hands to pull us back into yourself. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to be like Paul and forget what lies behind and press on. Press on for the upward call of God. Your upward call found in Jesus Christ. Grant these things, Lord, that we will walk the path of devotion. In your most holy name, amen.